you're faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The title of this sermon is The Lost Son, though this parable is more known as the parable of the prodigal son. A more appropriate title would be the parable of the loving father. The two sons in this parable are important. However, the father is mentioned no less than 12 times. Therefore, this parable is more about the love of the father than the lostness of both sons. In this chapter, Jesus tells us three parables making a single point. God loves the lost. The lost sheep, the lost silver coin, and finally the lost son make up a trilogy of increasing value. The sheep was one out of a hundred. The coin was one out of ten. And the son was one out of two. In the first parable, Jesus is the good shepherd. In the second parable, Jesus is the woman who searched diligently. In the third parable, Jesus is the father who sought his lost son. All three parables emphasize the love and mercy of God the Father reaching out to the lost. Our merciful and loving God does not desire for anyone to be lost. Hear this, church. Every individual is precious in his sight. By the first century standards, a shepherd who had 99 sheep was pretty wealthy. And so to lose one sheep was not a big deal. He was still, he was still wealthy. The shepherd went searching for the sheep, not because he wanted to maintain his wealth. No, he searched for that one lost sheep because he loved that lost sheep. The woman who lost a silver coin searched diligently. In the Greek language, the silver coin is called a drachma, a drachma is equal in value to a Roman denarius, which is worth about a day's wage for a laborer. The woman only had 10 of those coins. And so she diligently searched for that lost coin because it was valuable. The father had two sons. The father looked for the son, the lost son, because it was his son. These three parables also help us to understand what it means to be lost. Lost is the best word to describe anyone's condition without a savior. Lost means out of place. Sheep belong to the flock with the shepherd. Coins belong to the owner and lost sinners belong in fellowship with God. To be lost also means to be out of service. A lost sheep has no value to the shepherd. 
A lost coin has no transactional value to the owner, and lost sinners cannot serve God in the purposes in which God created them for. Lost things lack the ability to return to where they belong, and so therefore, church, God must search for them. The lost sheep does not have the ability to find its flock. And the shepherd, the lost coin, is an inanimate object that must be found in order for it to be restored to its rightful owner. The lost sinner is blind to his sin, and therefore he does not know his lost and must be found by God. Here's the main burden of the text. God loves, searches, welcomes, and forgives repentant sinners. Isn't that good news, church? Therefore, we join him in the all-out search for the lost people to come to know him. If that last statement is a familiar statement, that's because I borrowed that from Tim's Um, proposition statement in his last message. I just thought it was perfect and right on. Our text this morning shows us three things about the love of God. First, we see God's love for lost sinners. Look with me at verse 11. This is Jesus. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. Now, for the younger son to ask his father for his inheritance while his father was still alive, well, that wasn't the norm in Jewish antiquity. And I would say that it's not the norm today, right? That request to ask for his inheritance, his share of the father's property before his father's death while he was still alive was nothing short of scandalous and cold request. Scholars say that this younger son was no older than 18 years old. So imagine this with me. Suppose you have a an 18-year-old son, and he came to you, and he wanted your counsel about him marrying his 17-year-old girlfriend. And you, as a father, have spent time with them, and you know that they are still immature, a little bit of still irresponsible. And so out of love, you tell them, you tell him, son, don't marry her yet. Wait a little while until you can establish yourself, until you can, you're able to support yourself and your wife and perhaps a family. How would you feel if that 18-year-old son of yours went ahead and married that 17-year-old girl? How would you feel? For me, it would be like a slap in the face. But for the father in the parable, 
for his youngest son to ask for his inheritance while the father was still alive, it would be like saying, Father, I wish you were dead already. In a culture back then where obedience to one's father was stressed, the younger son's action would have been viewed as a serious act of rebellion. If you were a Pharisee in the presence of Jesus, if you were a scribe, you knew the law. And here's what the law says about stubborn and rebellious sons. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21 says this. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives And they shall say to the elders of this city, this, our son, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Gives me a little picture of the reckless living of the younger son. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And all Israel shall hear and fear. That is the effect of what the Pharisees and the scribes should have felt when they heard about the youngest son's request. But look at how the father responded. And he divided his property between them. Amazing. You with me, church? This verse communicated to the Pharisees and the scribes how much God loves lost sinners. Verse 13 says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. The younger son desired to enjoy his freedom from the service of his father. So he packed up all that he had and he left for a far country. If the sheep was lost because it was foolish and wandered away from the flock and the shepherd. If the coin was lost in the darkness of first century houses with very little or no windows, then the son was lost because of his willfulness. The term far country is more than a geographical reference. It is also a reference to moral and spiritual separation from God. All of us were at one time or another morally and spiritually separated from God. The last part of verse 13 says that he squandered his property in reckless living. I'm just wondering, can any of you relate to reckless living? Reckless living can mean loose living, riotous living, wild living, 
foolish living. I can't imagine how difficult it must be for parents who have prodigal sons and daughters who are living recklessly or foolishly. If you are one of those, then my heart goes out to you. Our hearts go out to you. Though you love your prodigal son or your prodigal daughter, this parable helps us to see that our God and Father in heaven loves them also. That the shepherd left the 99 to search for the one until it was found. That the woman searched diligently for the one until, it was, until that coin was found. That the father looked every day at the horizon for his lost son communicates God the Father's love for an individual lost sinner. Listen, if you are an unbeliever and you are here and you are currently living a reckless or foolish lifestyle, then I believe God has you here for a reason. Church, we need to move on. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And I see that as God's grace and God's mercy. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Sooner or later, reckless living will catch up to you. The prodigal son began to be in need. In fact, he had hit rock bottom. For the Jewish hearers of this parable, to feed the pigs would have been the worst humiliation that a Jewish person could suffer. Pigs were the worst sort of unclean animals. Not only becoming unclean was bad, but he also desired to eat the pods that the pigs were feeding on. And to make matters worse, the text says, the parable says that no one gave him anything. Listen, young people, the temptations of this world are strong. Living a reckless, riotous, or wild life is not all that it's cracked up to be. To the world, it might look attractive. To you, it might even be tempting. But in reality, Reckless, riotous, loose living will lead you to living rock-bottom lifestyles. Wild and reckless living, freedom from your parents and, and freedom from being at home will eventually bring you great sorrow and tragedy if you leave before the right time. And I pray if you do, by God's grace, he will allow you to experience great sorrow and tragedy. To help you 
to look to Jesus, the only one who can help you. I believe, young people, that this parable is recorded in Luke to help you to understand the gravity of reckless living, to teach you and to warn you so that you can be spared from the tragedies of reckless and wild living and great sorrow that comes with it. This parable teaches us that God loves lost sinners that we saw in verses 11 through 16. In verses 17 through 24, we'll see that God loves lost sinners by restoring repentant lost sinners. Look with me at verses 17 and 18. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Listen, young people, sometimes it's not until you leave your home that you realize that home is not as bad as you perceived it. In verses 17 through 24, Jesus is teaching us something about repentance. Repentance starts with the conviction of sin. After hardship and sorrow, the prodigal son came to himself, having realized that it wasn't all that bad at home. Repentance involves a confession. Verses 18 and 19 says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He confessed in the parable that his father was a generous man, that serving at home was better than freedom in a far country. Listen, church, repentance is only possible because God's love for lost sinners. You see, God's love is expressed through his kindness that leads us to repentance. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. And true repentance involves the will, the mind, the emotions, and the actions. It is a turning of 180 degrees away from sin and turning to God the Father. And in order for true repentance to happen, it must be the work of God the Father. You see, God's love and kindness for us was displayed at the cross by the sacrificial death of his beloved son Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin. And because the wages of sin have been paid for, for those who repent and put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ have been created anew. We have been, we have been given a new heart and a new spirit. The spirit of God in John 16 tells us that the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, is to convict the world of unrighteousness. When the prodigal son returned... How was it that the father saw him from a distance? Think about that. 
He saw him from a far distance because he was looking for his son continually. And he continued to look out for him. In the first parable, the shepherd went after the lost sheep. In the second parable, the woman looked diligently for the lost coin. The sheep and the coin could not return on their own. But in this parable, the father watched and waited for his lost son to return. He was ready to greet his son when he returned. This is why he was able to spot him while he was still a long way off. And in the same way, God's love is constant and patient and welcoming. He will search for lost sinners and give them opportunities to respond. Just like the father in the story, God the father waits patiently for lost sinners to come to their senses. Notice the father's love for his prodigal son. When he saw him, Jesus said that he felt compassion. When the father felt compassion, he was moved as one's bowels. That's kind of the, the Greek meaning behind that. Here's what it looks like. It's, it's deep inside, deep compassion toward his son, Now, while you or I might express deep anger or deep disappointment when our son or or our prodigal daughter will return, notice how the father received his lost son. He ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. Church, this is the love of God for repentant lost sinners. In the first century culture, it was undignified for an older man to run. Given the normal way of dress back in the day, the father would have had to pull up his skirt to run. It was uncharacteristic for any older Jewish man to run, but familial love and compassion overtook dignity after a long absence. Instead of stoning his son to death, the father ran to him and embraced him. He threw his arms around him. This is the love of God for repentant lost sinners. Church, God is holy. Therefore, he is a consuming fire to those who are unholy. But when lost sinners turn to him, he is a loving and forgiving God who comes running toward them. This is the heart of God for lost, repentant sinners. The father not only ran to him, the father not only embraced him, but the father kissed him. The usual verb for the word kiss is phileo in Greek. Now, I'm not an expert in Greek, but I know enough to study it. The word phileo 
just usually means a kiss for greeting. And so for me, I kiss my boys good morning every morning, every chance I get. I kiss them goodbye every t- chance I get. I kiss them good night every chance I get. It is a peck on the cheek. But Dr. Luke, Luke, uses the word katafileo, which is a more intensive form of a kiss, which means to kiss much, to kiss again and again and again, to kiss tenderly, to kiss earnestly. You see, church, it wasn't a peck on the cheek. It really, literally means the father showered his son with kisses. And the son said to him, here's his confession. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Look at verse 22. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put on him and and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Did you catch that? The son confessed, and it was as if the father disregarded that confession. Church, this is the love of God. When we run to him as lost sinners, all is forgotten and all is forgiven. Amazing. This is the love of God. He restores repentant lost sinners immediately. The father in this parable is a picture to us of our heavenly father's attitude to our lost repentant sinners. He is rich in mercy. He is full of grace. He is great in his love and he is forgiving and his forgiveness is more. The best robe would have been the father's. The ring would have been a family signet ring. This was a symbol of reinstatement to sonship, not slavery. This was also a symbol of the reinstatement of the son's authority within the family. Back then, servants or slaves did not wear shoes. The son was given shoes for his feet. The father was saying, in effect, I will not receive you back as a servant. I will receive you only as a son. Trinity, it was, it was the father's love, not the prodigal's efforts or his repentance that restored this relationship. For found sinners like you and me, we were also clothed, but not with the best earthly robe. We are clothed with Jesus' own righteousness. We did not receive a ring on our finger, but we have been given sonship and daughtership into his heavenly family. We did not receive shoes for our feet, but he received received us not as slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. And church, if I'm going to be a slave of something, I want to be a slave of Christ's righteousness. Amen. 
Father continues, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. The fattened calf would have fed the entire village. The feast and the celebration were ways for the father to show us that his joy and he wanted to share it with everyone around him. When one single lost sinner repents. Amazing. For me, if I had a long lost son and I saw him coming, I would have waited until he knocked on the door. Because the locks would have been changed. And I would have let him in. For God, he remembers our sins no more. Psalm 103 verses 10 through 13 says this. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward us, toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. The sheep was lost because of its foolishness and wandered away on its own. The coin was lost because first century houses were dark and they had cracks on the floor. The son left because of his selfishness and lostness. Here's the love of God. God's great love reaches out and finds lost sinners no matter or how or why they got lost. No matter how or why they got lost. Church, we at one time were lost and dead in our transgressions and sins, but now we have been found and now we have been made alive in Christ Jesus. This was only possible because there was a lamb that was killed. Jesus was the spotless, perfect lamb of God who took away our sins. And through his death, we have been made alive in him. God loves lost sinners. God restores Repentant lost sinners, and finally God celebrates over-restored lost sinners. Look at verses 24 and 32. These two verses are what theologians call an inclusio, or they are called bookends, or they're called bracketed sentences or statements. Look with me at verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate, verse 32. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost 
and is found. This inclusio serves to teach us something about the older brother. The older brother represents the Pharisees and the scribes in the parable who grumbled because the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus and that he ate with them and that he received him. Let me ask you this. Do you grumble when your church leaders ask you or encourages you to evangelize, to share the gospel with the lost? The elder brother also serves to symbolize us when we choose not to forgive because we have bitterness in our heart. You see, the father was, was, he, he immediately forgave because his heart was full of love. The older son had a hard time forgiving because his heart was full of bitterness. The point here is that the older son was just as lost as the younger son, even though he never left his father's house. If you are finding yourself having a hard time forgiving, then I want to encourage you to preach the gospel to yourself. When you do... God, the Holy Spirit, will empower you to forgive as God in Christ forgave you. And when you do, you will enter into the joy of forgiveness and what it brings, church. When the older son from the field came home and heard music and dancing, he asked, well, what is going on here? And one of the servants came out and said, your brother who was lost has come home and he's come home safe. When the servant told him, he became angry and refused to go in. Verse 28b says that his father left the feasting and the celebration to entreat his, his older son. Oh, church, how gracious and compassionate our God is to us. How patient is he with our weaknesses. The same father who ran out to meet the prodigal son came out of the house of feasting and celebration to console and comfort and encourage and exhort the older brother. He says this in verses 31 and 32. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he is found. I like how the NASB translation puts verse 32. It says this, but we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Trinity, God celebrates and rejoices over lost sinners who repent. Verse 
Here are two primary applications, then I'll be finished. First, if you identify yourself as the prodigal son or daughter and you have been running away from God, but, but God has you here, I want to call you to repentance. Turn away from worldly living and turn back to God and he will run to you and he will embrace you and accept you and bring you into right relationship with him. Second, if you're finding yourself relating or identifying with the Pharisees and the scribes, then I want to call you to repentance as well. Perhaps you have a grumbling heart when the word evangelism or missions are mentioned. If that is you, I want to entreat you to reach out to lost sinners. After all, you were a lost sinner, and now you have been found. After all, you once were dead in your sin, but God has made you alive in Christ Jesus. God loves lost sinners. God restores repentant lost sinners, and God celebrates over repentant lost sinners. In conclusion, church, worship team, will you please join me here on the platform? God sought out lost sinners. And you might be wondering, well, how did he do that? Well, he sent Jesus down to us. Luke 19.10 tells us that the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. Therefore, church, let us join him in the all-out search for lost sinners so that they can come to know him. Will you stand with me? Let's respond in worship. Trinity, what grace, what mercy, what compassion, what love he has bestowed upon us. Let's sing.